Funny how your perspective on life can change as your life changes. Notice that? Uh, an example of what I mean happened earlier this year when I think it was the State Roads Minister announced that he was reviewing the 120 hours of driving that learners have to currently do in order to get their licence. Suddenly he was having a rethink about whether or not that might have been a bit too much. And I'm sure I read in the papers that one of the reasons why he was having a rethink about it was because his own teenage daughter was now on her L's. And suddenly the guy had realised that hmm, maybe 120 hours is an awful lot of hours to have supervised. Funny how your perspective on things can change as your life changes. Now, I know that myself. I mean, years and years ago, if I was down the street of the supermarket and a, and a little kid was crying, my initial thought would be, you know, the poor kid, I hope he's all right, I hope mum and dad are looking after him. Uh, now that I've got children, if I'm down the supermarket and a little kid's crying, my immediate thought is, as poor parents, I wish that kid would just be quiet and cooperate for them. It's funny how your perspective changes, just as your life changes. Now, that's pretty much what today's Bible passage is all about. It's a section in which Peter is helping his readers to see how their perspective on life needs to change as a result of a fairly massive life change that they have been through. Now, the major change that they've been through is, of course, that they've become Christians. They've started to follow Jesus. And that has brought enormous, wonderful change into their life. Following Jesus has now meant that they're part of God's people. Following Jesus has now meant that they're citizens of a holy nation. Following Jesus has now meant that they've been born again. Following Jesus now means that they're looking forward to a new life beyond this life. Following Jesus now means that they have a place reserved for them in the new heavens and the new earth. And as a consequence of that massive change that has come upon them as Christians, it's only natural that when their life has changed so much, it's only natural that now their perspective on life also needs to change. And our section this morning helps us to see that as he reminds his readers of an aspect of change that has happened for them, a new identity that they have in Christ and therefore a new perspective that they should have in life. And therefore, he actually gives out some quite specific details about behaviour that should therefore follow. Let's see how it works, because I think there's some things to challenge and comfort us this morning. Chapter 2, verse 11, and a new identity that he wants to alert them to. Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world. Aliens and strangers in the world. Now, this is not the first time... Peter has called his readers strangers, or if you've got an ESV, it's a little bit more correct, exiles. Peter called them that right back at the very first verse of the letter. And last Sunday, we thought about the fact that back there in chapter 1, verse 1, it was part of a very specific title, that back in verse 1, Peter quite literally referred to his original readers as exiles of the dispersion which means he's writing to Jews who are scattered throughout Palestine, scattered there because of uh, various wars that had happened in Old Testament times. Here in verse 11 of chapter 2, Peter is now adding a new dimension to this. He's he's introducing a new word, a, a new title, another description. He describes them now not just as exiles, not just as strangers, but as aliens and strangers. And he's not thinking of UFOs. He's not thinking of little green guys from another planet. He's actually thinking of temporary residents from another country. So if you were to fly to America this week, 
You fly to America, you get off the plane, you enter the airport, you go into customs, and at customs you would join a line that is labelled aliens because that is what you'll be called there. America's not your home. You don't live there. You're only visiting. They'll call you an alien because you're only visiting a place that's not your true home. That is exactly what what Peter is tapping into here. That's what he wants his readers to understand. Readers, remember, who technically are exiles, they're exiles of the dispersion, as we thought about last week, but he now wants to open their eyes to the fact that they are even, uh, as a result of following Jesus, they are now exiles in a far more profound way than, than they thought they were. They are now aliens and exiles. Because now that they follow Jesus, they're not just living in a country that they don't really belong to. They're living in a world they don't really belong to. Because as he's already spelled out earlier on in the letter, as followers of Jesus, you're residents of a new nation. It's the nation of God. As followers of Jesus, your true home is heaven. Your true home is the new creation to come. That's where you and I belong. That's where we're going to be spending all eternity. And so despite what the song says, we don't call Australia home. We call heaven home. We call the new creation home. And Peter is here stressing this fact because he wants to make the point that because as Christians we are only temporarily passing through this world, because as Christians our identity is is that of an alien and a stranger in the world, we therefore need to have a new perspective on life because of our new life situation. Verse 11 again. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires that wage against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. That is a very powerful paragraph. That is a far-reaching little paragraph. It's a paragraph that opens our eyes to two massive issues in the world that deserve our full attention as aliens and strangers. They are the issues of the war against your soul and the glory of God. Did you notice those two things that get mentioned there? Uh, I urge you to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Now, you do realise there is a war against your soul at the moment, don't you? You do realise that your soul, the, the spiritual essence of who you are, it's under threat. It's in danger of being destroyed. And if it is destroyed, you will be utterly, utterly lost. Now, one sense, the war, of course, has already been won. Uh, Jesus gained victory on, uh, on our behalf at the cross. By dying on the cross, Jesus achieved forgiveness and restoration for us. It's the doctrine of justification, which uh, uh, Kelvin rejoiced so much in with the brothers and sisters in the Philippines. And so in chapter 1, Peter's actually talked about Jesus bringing salvation for our souls. But a war still goes on. Not so much to achieve victory, but so as to lure us away from the winning side. Satan uses this world to tempt our evil desires into thinking that Jesus isn't all that important. Satan uses this world to tempt our evil desires so as to trick us into changing sides onto the losing side. Satan uses this world to tempt our evil desires so as to distract us from the fact that there's even a war going on in the first place. But there's a war going on. And it affects every single person you know. Your mum, your dad, your kids, your grandkids, your neighbours. 
the people who served you in the shops this week, the people who you'll pass in their cars on the way home this morning, every single one of them in the war. And the result of this war will affect them all for all eternity. And yet the world gives this war no serious attention whatsoever. There will be no headline in the newspaper tomorrow morning about the war against our soul. There will be no public service announcement on the radio. There is no government agency dedicated to this war. As you go off to work at TAFE or uni or school or visit the cinemas or watch your sporting team, the war against your soul will barely rate a mention, despite how important it is. And that's the world for you. Massively preoccupied with the superficial. And so Peter writes to his readers, just remember, in this world, you're an alien and a stranger. Just remember that as a follower of Jesus, your life is being played out on a much bigger canvas than this world. Just remember that as a follower of Jesus, your home is the new creation. So don't think like this world. Don't value what this world tells you to value. Don't chase after what this world chases after. Take the war against your soul very seriously, even though the world doesn't, because you're only passing through here. Take also the glory of God very seriously, verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now that phrase, on the day he visits us, that's a bit of a unique phrase in the Bible. It doesn't appear anywhere else in that exact form. could refer to the final day, you know, the day when Jesus returns, wraps up this current world, brings in the new heavens and the earth. Um, certainly the NIV seems to be plugging that one because it includes the word the in the phrase, so it's the day he visits. The original actually doesn't have that word, it's simply a day he visits. And uh, that reference to glorifying God, it's never used to refer to non-Christians who are forced to acknowledge God on the last day. It's only ever used to Christians in this world who happily, willingly acknowledge God. I'm thinking Peter is saying here, look, live such good lives that even though people might accuse you of doing bad stuff, live such a transparently good life that they will be won over to Jesus. That they will be converted, that they will therefore glorify God because of seeing your good deeds and God would use that to attract them to Jesus. The end result though here in this is that God will be glorified. That's why we're to live good lives, he says. It's so that God will be glorified. Because according to God, that's what all our behaviour should, everything we do should be uh, giving glory to God. And it's not an egotistical thing for God to want to, for want, uh, to, want to have that happen. I mean, he's God after all. Who, who else is there to give glory to? Nothing greater than God. Come time, it will be seen to have been a complete waste of our energy to have given glory to anything else. The most positive significance your life can have is to be drawing attention to God. The most lasting significance your life can have is to be honouring and giving glory to God. And if anyone knows that, we ought to, is what Peter is saying. We more than anyone else ought to know that this world is fleeting, that this world is transient. Because as followers of Jesus, we're citizens of the nation of God. As followers of Jesus, we know that our true homeland is the new creation to come. As followers of Jesus, we know we're, we're just aliens and strangers here. And so stuff that the world craves after, we don't, we don't care a lot about. And stuff that the world 
doesn't care a lot about, we do care a lot about. Things like the war that wages against our souls and the glory of God. So we abstain from evil and we strive for good. And so as to help us really appreciate that, what now happens is that that Peter moves on and gives three specific examples of of living this out, three applications of of how this new identity of of being an alien and stranger in this world, how that should reflect itself in in specific behaviour. Now, the three examples that he gives have all to do with submission. Um, Did you notice that? 2.13, submit yourself to every authority. Verse 18, wives, submit yourselves to masters. 3.1, wives, in the same way, be submissive. It's, there's issues of submission and authority that seems to be his interest here. Clearly, for the sake of time, we haven't got justice to, to uh, look at all the stuff the verses say. What I'd simply like you to notice this morning, and I hope you'll go away and think more about it, I want you to notice not so much what Peter is telling us to do, but why he's telling us to do it. Notice the motives behind the behaviour. That he's giving. For example, he's talking about our attitude to governments. Look what he says in chapter 2, verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority. Look at verse 15. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Look down at verse 19 where he's talking to slaves. Verse 19. For it's commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because... He is conscious of God. Look at the second half of verse 20. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. He goes on to encourage slaves to have an attitude like Jesus, who, verse 23, entrusted himself to God, to him who judges justly. Chapter 3, verse 4. This time he's talking to wives about true beauty, and he tells them that true beauty should be that of the inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth, in God's sight. Now, what I'd like you to notice is that in all those reasons, the, thing, the reasons why he says to submit a certain way, they're all reasons that are, are, in fact, beyond this world. They're all things about doing it in God's sight, doing it before God, being conscious of God, entrusting yourself to God. Or put it another way, Peter doesn't actually tell us to act a certain way because it'll work best in this world. Once it's got nothing to do with the world. It doesn't say do this because it's expedient. It doesn't say act this way because it'll be efficient. It doesn't say do it this way because it'll take less time and be more convenient and you'll be more profitable. When he's talking to slaves, he doesn't say, look, do it this way because your workplace environment will really improve. In talking to wives, he doesn't even say, look, act like this because your marriage will improve. He doesn't say that. Mind you, don't mishear me. I'm not saying they won't improve those things. I don't want to give the impression that doing stuff God's way won't uh, give good results in this world. Certainly the opposite is true. But in this passage, it's really interesting that the reasons that, that are consistently given are not really reasons to do with this world. They are beyond this world. Chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, again, really interesting. Peter urges his wives to be submissive so that their behaviour will win their husbands over to the word. Again, he doesn't say to them, look, act this way because it'll really help your marriage. And again, don't mishear me. I'm not saying it won't. Probably would. It's not his motive, though. 
It's not the reason he gives. And that's because Peter's got far bigger perspective in mind than this. Far, Peter's alerting us to the fact that we are playing on a far bigger playing field than just how your marriage is going, as important as that might be. We're playing on a playing field that involves people's souls. We're playing on a playing field that involves the glory of God. We're playing on a playing field that stretches for all eternity. And it's flowing out of this this identity we have as aliens and strangers, of seeing ourselves against the backdrop of eternity and therefore having a mindset that is not simply confined to this world. Now, do you think like that? Do you honestly think like that? Because that's the challenge of a passage like this. To what extent are we actually thinking the way Peter is showing us to think here? Do you see yourselves primarily as an alien and stranger here? I mean, in your mind, just for a couple of seconds, in your mind, can you just wander through your house and think about all the stuff you own? Just for the moment, can you perhaps wander back in time and think about the conversations you had this past week? Think about the decisions you made this past week. Think about the reasons you really had for doing what you did in this past week. Does it look as if you're an alien and a stranger here? Or does it actually look as if you're pretty much at home here? See, that's the thing about visiting another country. If you're, if you're doing the tourist thing overseas, is it not true that there's just stuff you don't bother doing as a tourist? You don't bother buying stuff that's not going to make it through customs. You don't bother buying stuff that even if it gets through customs, it's not going to work when you get it back here because it's a different voltage or a different electric plug or something. There's just stuff you don't bother doing because when you get home, there will have been no point to it whatsoever. That's what Peter is saying here. As as Christians, we are tourists. This world is not our home. We are just passing through. And there is a heap of stuff that this world is throwing at us and hardly any of it is worth getting worked up over. Because when we get home, when we get to the new creation, there will have been no point to most of it whatsoever. And we live with that mindset. We don't just drift through life taking for granted the way the world thinks and thinking that that's the best way we go. We don't assume that what's on television is helpful for us, surely. We don't assume that the priorities of of advertising uh, companies is necessarily the priorities we ought to have. (laughs) No, wait, we stop. We think. We get our bearings from God. As Greg's encouraging, we read God's word because we want to follow him. And it's all flowing out of this identity that we have as aliens and strangers. Guys, we're just passing through. And therefore we have a perspective, we have a mindset, we have reasons, we have priorities, we have agendas, we have desires, we have values that are not confined to the things of this world. And that is not a bad thing. That, that is a truly, wonderfully liberating thing. I mean, we live in a world 
where we are paying a guy over $3 million to hit a little white ball around a golf course this weekend. We live in a world that worships youth and beauty and celebrity. We live in a world, and no offence to this, but we live in a world where not many of us are going to get on the front cover of a magazine. And if the Apostle Peter was here, he'd say, who cares? We're free of it. We've been called to something far more profound than being a happy little consumer with a mortgage and 2.1 children. We've been called into a people belonging to God. We've been called into an internal inheritance that will never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. Friends, we're just passing through. Because thank God this world isn't all there is. I'll pray. Father God, we're, we find it just so easy to, to let the eternal perspective get crowded out with all the stuff that the world is showing us. And so thank you for the reminder this morning that, that we are aliens and strangers here. Thank you for the rich privilege that by your grace and nothing more, by your grace, we have a place reserved for us in the new heaven and the new earth. Thank you that that's our home. And Father, when we get home, help us to know that we've spent our time here wisely. Amen.